Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks for clicking play or joining us live, whichever you are doing. Thank you very much and welcome. Um, this evening, we are doing a show focused on most common i guess teaching strategies or things that we do in our teaching and looking for sort of advice tips guidance on those most commonly used elements in teaching some of the things we're going to explore tonight are things like feedback um, modeling uh, use of visualizers um, uh, mini whiteboards uh, we are going to talk about retrieval practice we're going to talk about um activities uh the 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 whole idea of pace in lessons um yeah we're gonna sort of go through a ton of things and this all sort of emanated from a social media post that i put out uh, 10 days ago now um what is the teaching idea or resource that you use most often in your teaching and it got a really sort of interesting range of um uh, responses um and the focus of this show is built around those responses and what people what people said. So I've got a series of guests. I've got Jill. I've got Sarah. Um, I've got. Uh, I, I only know him as as. Oh yes, is it Joe? Oh, I'm not sure actually. It could be Joe. Um, I thought I had Joe. Maybe I don't know. This is how well prepared I am. And I've also got Kate Jones as well. Um, after eight pm. Um, who is going to be joining us as well um, to talk about some of this stuff. So really exciting stuff um, and lots to sort of get through. So um, just before I kick off, it'd probably be good for me to mention our supporters on the show this evening. 
So uh, one of our key sponsors and supporters is John Katz. If you haven't heard of them, they're an educational publisher and they publish professional development books and resources um, for teachers around the world. If you haven't had a chance to check out their latest releases, you can do so at johncatbookshop.com and you can get 20% off um, everything that you order in there by using JCTTR2324 as a code. That's JCTTR2324 um, for 20% off your order with John Cat. Um, and yeah, have, have a look because they've got so many titles. And in fact, we have a John Cat author with us tonight in Kate Jones. So we'll be talking about some of her um, books that she's written with John Cat. Um, also, we are going to be at the Bet Show next week. So it's worth me mentioning that from next Wednesday to Friday, if you are in London or if you live around London and you want to meet us, as in when I say us, I mean like the TTR team. Um, uh, so I'll be there. Um, we've got Seema there. We've got Nathan there. We've got uh, Maxine, Hannah, um, uh, loads more people, Poppy, Marie uh paul hazard um yeah loads of the ttr team will be there at the bet show and it's a three-day thing wednesday thursday friday we're on stand sm54 so if you do get a chance to pop your head in then please come and say hi um so yeah uh let's crack on with with the show so um jill i'll just check you're there first jill are you there hi yeah i'm can, I hear, me? can hear you loud and clear um do you want to just give us Brilliant. um like a 30 second introduction of sort of who you yeah. are and what you do yeah, my name's Jill. Um, I'm an assistant head teacher and I lead teaching and learning in my school um, in South Lakes um, in Barrow. Um, um, we're an all-through school. We're a very small school. We teach from, we've got kids from reception right through to year 11. Um, so that makes for an interesting dynamic in the school. Um, and I've been assistant head teacher there since 2019. And I've just survived Ofsted and we got a good. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you're relieved about that. Um, yeah. And as long as you're not going to post the banners, Jill, you won't get kicked off the space by me. So, <laughs> so yeah. I'm right with you on that one. <laughs> oh, smashing. Um, well, um, that's great. Um, Sarah, we've got also got Sarah, hopefully. Sarah, do you want to sort of 30 seconds just introduce yourself as well? Hi, Tom. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you loud and clear. Fabulous. Um, I um, I teach in Banbury in Oxfordshire. I teach at Blessed George Napier School. Um, I teach Year 13 Psychology, Year 13 Health and Social Care, and uh, some science this year at Key Stage Three. I've been teaching since 2003, so a bit long and long in the tooth. But it's nice to hear Jill teaching in Barrow because my grandparents are actually from Barrow and Furness. So it's great to hear oh. about Barrow. Oh, brilliant. Well, massive shout out for Barrow and other um, UK towns that are similar. Yeah, big shout out to them. Um, uh, I've, I've just invited Joe in as well. Hopefully Joe can connect up. Um, Joe, you do need to be on your mobile phone to, to join on the X app. So hopefully we can get Joe involved as well. Um, but Jill, um, yeah. I'll start with you because when I posted this thing out about um, sort of most commonly used teaching strategies or techniques, mm -hmm. you very kindly um, replied to that. And you particularly mentioned mini whiteboards. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're a massive proponent of them and you've done a lot of work in your school around mini whiteboard use. So we I have. wondered, because there are there are those who are cynical about mini whiteboards, not so much in how they can be used, but as a sort of like they've always been around, you know, that sort of thing. Like they've always yeah. been around and, you know, it's no real big deal, if you like. It's not a big deal to use mini whiteboards. I mean... How do you use them then? And 
you know, why are they your most commonly used teaching resource or, or idea? Um, well, I've been I've become known as the queen of the mini whiteboard in my school. Um, I think they're just a fantastic tool. Sometimes it's the the tried and tested um, things that have been there for years and years that that do the job and they do it brilliantly. I think coming back from the pandemic, one thing that um, I think probably a lot of us have felt is how many kids are just hiding away in plain sight in the classroom. They don't want to speak. They don't want to put their hand up. They don't want to um, um, be seen. You know, I think they're, they're metaphorically st still been under the duvet for, for quite a while. And, um, you know, the mini whiteboard just gives everybody that opportunity to engage in the classroom. There's no hiding space. Everybody joins in. The risk is shared amongst all the kids in the classroom. And I think if you build the culture of the mini whiteboard well in your class, you know, there's there's actually a lot of kids that are quite thankful for you using the mini whiteboard because it it does give them a voice. It does give them an opportunity to engage and take part in that lesson, but in perhaps in a way that isn't as... Um, I don't know, it's as difficult for them when they've struggled perhaps coming back to the classroom after that pandemic experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, um, can you give me an example of sort of maybe one or two, three generic ways you use a mini whiteboard mm -hmm. in your teaching or that, you know, other people... Yeah, um, one of my favourite things I love about the mini whiteboard is um, something that I call the um, magpieing. Um, I think um, I learned the magpie technique from the primary school um, at our school um, and brought that up into the senior school. So when when I get kids to write ideas down, I teach English, by the way. So I yes. might I might be reading a passage and I might say, what feelings do you think this character has in this moment? Write down two, three things on your whiteboard. Everybody does that. But then I ask everybody to magpie. So everybody holds up their boards. They slowly rotate their boards. Everybody has a look at what everybody else has written. And then they magpie. They steal other people's ideas and pop that into their into their exercise books as well. They might change then what they were thinking. They might see vocab they're not used to. You know, it's a really great way of, of sharing knowledge um, right around the classroom. Um, so that's definitely one of my favourite techniques um, with the with the mini whiteboards. Um, what else do I do? I do, um, we do lots of vocab work as well in English. Um, so we might be reading a passage and it might say, Joe walked from the, from the classroom. And, you know, then we'll, we might do something like, right, well, can we have a different idea? What other word could we have used instead of walked? Um, and everybody pops up their ideas on the whiteboard and off we go again. And you can magpie from that too. Um, so I just love how quick and easy it is. There's, there's no um, you having to get up and walk around and look at people's exercise books. You know, it's immediate, quick, easy. And the impact of it, I, I think, is is really meaningful in the classroom. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I was, that was my next question is, um, you know, what is the impact in the classroom of the mini whiteboards and using them more? Um, and what did you do before mini whiteboards? What did I do before mini whiteboards? Well, I um, I use them hand in hand with my visualizer. Um, I'm a visualizer girl through and through. Um, and what did I do before PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> um, Nothing wrong with a good old PowerPoint. <laughs> um, I, I, I well, each to their own, and and I mean that's a really that mantra is really important to me actually um but each their own and i um i just 
I just felt it was clunky and clumsy with the with the PowerPoint um, and with the visualizer and the whiteboards. I feel like it's more of a joint enterprise in the classroom. Um, you know, you you sort of I feel like I'm working more in tandem with the kids rather than them sort of just sat like an audience watching a PowerPoint. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at any given moment, you know, those whiteboards are there and I can deploy them, find out information from the kids, share good ideas. Um, the I think one of the things that I'm working on at the moment is trying to get kids to use them more independently away from direct teacher um, instruction. Yeah. Um, so that's that's harder to to embed that in the classroom um, and it, it it's taking a lot of um, just a lot of repetition encouraging them to use those whiteboards for their own personal use rather than just waiting for me to say use it so they could be you know asking them to if you've got a question you want to ask me jot it on your whiteboard if if you've got spelling that you want to try try it out on your whiteboard first yeah, if you yeah, yeah um, they're not they don't naturally gravitate to that I don't think as much so um, with my own personal classes, that's what I'm trying to to develop a little bit more with the whiteboards because I've very uh, practiced at them otherwise. <laughs> and do you, so in terms of routines and stuff, do you mm. have, and I don't just mean yeah, sort of like in terms of looking after the whiteboards and making sure <laughs> they're used correctly and getting them out without yeah. having to sort of go through a big rigmarole of getting yeah. them all out and getting them all set up. I mean, yeah. how long does it take you to get, to a point where you're like right we're going to get the whiteboards out now you know how long right. does that process take well um so as, as my my role as tnl lead in the school um oh gosh how long have we been we doing on this one maybe we've been on this working on this 18 months two years now um yeah. and um i had there's there's two parts to this battle there's the teachers and there's the kids Sorry, teachers. Um, but the <laughs> um, and and you you're working with two different things here. The first thing is about um, the routine of the whiteboards. And I mean, I've seen so many posts on Twitter where people go back and forth over the the routine, the maintenance of 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 these. My first starting point was to insist that whiteboards are out every lesson, no matter what. It's part of your kit, like your pencil case. Yeah. Um, we have um, dear time and we ask for the kids to have a reading book out as well on their desk. Um, and and the first thing I wanted to do was to try and embed that. So I, I said to the kids, um, no matter what, regardless of whether your teacher asks you to or not, regardless of whether you think that teacher is going to use that whiteboard or not, you get your whiteboard out and you put it on your desk. Yeah. And, um, um, and then they are there and, and there shouldn't be... Oh right, let's get your white. Let's do something with whiteboards, and then suddenly everybody's piling into their bags, and you're having to wait five minutes for everybody to get a whiteboard out, and then all the drama that goes with that. So, that's that's um, one thing that we've worked hard on. Um, I I also um, we're a small school, and I think that really helps us. Um, so, in our senior school. Um, from year seven to year eleven, we've got about three hundred kids, um, about sixty or so in a in a year group. So, yeah. um, I think with us being small, that makes it easier to manage. Um, yeah, they do get um, minus points for not having the right equipment. 
um, that yeah. goes into the house point system. Um, we, you know, we it's about teaching them responsibility for their equipment, and and again, Ooh, you know, you're you're, you're flirting with um, pencils, Jill. You're flirting with pencils here. I know, as a pencil gay, I know it. It was. Um, I I look at all of those those kinds of threads, and I just think it's back to what I said before: each to their own. And I think um, nobody knows each other's context of their school nobody knows I don't know what your school's like you don't know what my school's like and you know what works for you might not work for me and I think you know people ought to have the grace in those conversations to accept that that people need to manage their schools in the way they need to manage them and you know we're very lucky in being such a small school that we can work you know we know the the name I know the name of every kid you know I know I know those kids and we we can work with them on that kind of level it's I absolutely accept that in bigger schools the the whiteboard can be a difficult challenge um but I think that's up to each school to come up with a process that works for them and if that's every class has every teacher has a set of their own and gives them out um then that's what that school does um yeah 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 I mean, I think the context is important. I mean, the school I currently teach in is a special school, so oh, right. we're talking. Yeah. We're talking like, I think. I mean, it's all through. Um, so oh. I mean, we're, we're talking like probably two hundred. I mean, I don't know how many pupils are actually in the whole thing all mm-hmm. through, but you know, it's not many. Um, whereas if you compare that to the school I was teaching in before this, that was your, mm-hmm. your typical sort of secondary comp with eight, nine hundred students. It's yeah. I mean, the, the idea of I wasn't I, by the way, I wasn't a leader in either of those schools. But if I was a leader in either of those schools, the idea of introducing something new to all staff would would be very different in the way I would probably feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of feeling very daunted, I mean, even the numbers you've got, Jill, in in your mm-hmm. school, it, it would still, you know, it's still a real challenge, isn't it, to introduce anything yeah. consistently across? Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I want to ask. I'm just going to go to to Sarah and Joe, and obviously they've got different things that I'm going to be asking them about. But um, Sarah, I-, I wondered before I ask you about your stuff, um, I wondered whether you had any views on mini whiteboards or anything that Jill said. Um, I don't really have any particular views on mini whiteboards. Yeah. Um, I'm quite nomadic, so I'm in more than one classroom. Oh God! So, and yeah, <laughs> I mean, last last year I was in a, a comical nineteen different classrooms. I was, oh my God! Yeah, I was in different rooms every every lesson, so I would have found that quite difficult. Um, but this year I'm in fewer classrooms, and I know I've got a set of mini whiteboards somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in my cupboard um, but my main teaching is um, advanced level so I teach a I teach a lot of year 12 and year 13 mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm I'm the queen of the visualizer <laughs> I'm very, very much about you know scaffolding and modeling and making that transition from GCSE to A level um, so I'm not I'm not I feel like I'm on the fence and I'm going to get run over, but um, <laughs> but I have no real view about it. You know, I'm I'm willing to give anything. So you're allowed on. to not. You are allowed to not have a view on it. Absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, and also the fact that I mean, when I was teaching during COVID, you know, uh, I don't think I had 20, 19 classrooms. I have to say, I think I had no. like I don't know eight or something. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, I mean, I used to carry the whiteboards in the trolley, but honestly, the way I am, I lost half the blooming pens or whatever <laughs> by the end of each day. Never mind week. I was no. going, well, there goes another 10. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Get them out once, pack them up once, move classrooms, they drop out. I mean, okay, that's an extreme example because, you know, COVID was COVID and you were walking yeah. down a corridor with a, a blooming trolley half the time. Um, so it was slightly different. But, yeah, it does. I think you do have to be sort of committed to it and, and, and organised with it and sort of on onto it and with it. Um, but if you can do that, I think it's 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 great, um, yeah. as Jill said. Um, so, Sarah, I, w- I wanted to ask you um, about um, modelling and visualisers because yeah. um, you're a big fan of the use of visualisers and the idea of modelling. So I wanted to start with, can you tell, because we've got listeners from all over the world who listen back yeah. to this as a podcast, so can you tell them what we mean by modelising. Modelising? <laughs> That's a new word. I will copyright it. And yes, it will trend. Modelising. Um, model, what, what does the word model mean in a teaching context? And what is a visualiser? Let's start with some definitions. Okay, so I'll start with what a visualiser is. So a visualiser is basically a fancy camera that you plug in and acts like a camera on what you're writing underneath. So I am very lucky in that my head of department bought me a Hue visualizer and they're really compact, they're really easy to move around. So I used it in all different lessons when I'm in all different classrooms because I just carry it in my backpack. It's really nice and light. Um, And what modeling, what I use my visualizer for is to show students what a good one looks like. So I've got year 12, year 13 psychology and year 12 and year 13 health and social care. So I teach two different subjects and I've also got key stage three science. So biology, chemistry and physics. And what I tend to do with that is I'll start off um, an exam question and I'll say, right, outline and evaluate. What does this verb mean? What does that verb mean? And we have the conversation and then I say, right, so how would we put that Um, answer together. Where would the outline go? Where would the evaluate go? How many marks is it? How much do you think you would write? And before I've even started showing them how I would think and how I would write, we spitball it it first. So we if we can if we can say it, we can write it. Um, And I I use that visualizer to go right, okay, so let's write out the four markers. It's a four marker um, in an A-level psychology question. I have this great big exercise book that I just kind of um, borrow from the prep room and it becomes mine for the for the, uh, for the the year. Don't tell my head department, hopefully. He's oh, really well, really well. <laughs> rebel. He likes to reason May right now, like running yeah, through those yeah. fields. You absolute rebel. Go on, Sarah, carry on. One exercise book taken from the prep room. Um, and I, what I do is I, I start doing the answer with them. So what I will do is I will narrate what I write. So it's what I call a cognitive apprenticeship. So if they come from GCSE straight away and they've never done psychology or health and social care before, because we don't offer them um, at BTEC first and we don't offer psychology at GCSE. So it's two brand new subjects. And if you give a student, you know, a year 11 plus six, six, six weeks, essentially, that's what year 12s are. If you give them a four mark advanced level question and they've got a blank page, they start to get a bit sweaty and they look a bit nervous. So what <laughs> so what I do is I start to narrate what I write. Because not only does that help those who need to be able to hear it, to be able to process it, but it also allows me to um, show them my thought process. So I can verbalize my thought process. I can So you're model. so just to just to sort of clarify for everyone, you're yeah. sat there 
at the front. You've got your yeah. visualizer. Yeah. And by the way, there are lots of brands of visualizers. We, yeah, we other visualizers are available. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've got your visualizer. You've got your your um, your projector going. Yeah. You're writing an answer. And this yep. idea of narrating it is you're writing the answer, but you're almost explaining as you're writing what yep. you're, why you're, what you're thinking. And, you know, I've done this, I've done exactly the same thing in history. It's yep. very, very powerful stuff. As long mm -hmm. as you can come up with something half decent. Because um, yep. if you can't, then they're like, <laughs> they're like he's stuck. He's stuck. Yeah. He's, he's I'm lost, very but, lucky. Yeah. And I, I've I've been teaching a long time, Tom. So I've got a, yeah. I've got a bank of lots and lots of questions. So what I've what I've done is after I've written them, I take a photo of them using the the camera function on the laptop. It then saves it, and I can upload it to our VLE. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. we have we have folders that say you know year twelve model answers, year thirteen model answers, and then I filter them by you know each topic. So this is your schizophrenia folder. This is your social influence folder. So on yeah, yeah, got you. So let's yeah. say sticking on the idea of your format one. <clears throat> yeah. Um, does it take too long for you to? Because listen, I mean, no one's going to argue that the idea of modelling is is yeah, excellent. yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's great. The one thing that I found, and this is only me talking personally, yeah, there's yeah. no like massive educational research body behind this, is that is that sometimes it can take quite a long time to do that well. If, mm. if you're going to sort of model and narrate to them and really get into that, of mm -hmm. course, the counter to that, I'm sure, will be, well, it's time well spent. Um, but yeah. I wondered whether, you know, how long does it take you to do this as opposed to just giving them a model answer? Okay, so a four marker would probably take me between four and eight minutes. Okay. It, it should only take me four minutes, really. Yeah, because it's only it's like, like two, yeah. three sentences, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. So it should be, you know, the premise of a marker minute in your advance level um, for the the size of the paper. That's what it should be. Um, if I'm narrating and I'm having discussions with the, the students, you know, we can go up to eight, ten minutes. But like you say, I think it's time well spent because I'd rather they had that really solid, you know, A grade answer rather than I gave them eight minutes and they spend four or five of those minutes going, what are we supposed to be doing? How do I start? Can you give me a sentence? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. Some, some students in that transition, and even from when they transition from 12 to 13, there's a step up again from year 12 to year 13, and they need kind of resetting, rebooting almost, of, um, of how to start those answers and how to structure them. Because, you know, the year 13 work, the year 13 paper is different to the year 12 content uh, and just gets harder and harder and harder. So you're just kind of building on skills. I mean, I have been known to sit and model the really big answers as well. So the 16 markers that yes. says, and they'll take me a good hour, but they've got then a really excellent good mark or a star answer that they can take to the bank and they can say, right, I can apply that now to another theory or another piece of research and I can do that. No problem. And presumably, do they get in? I'm guessing they they're involved throughout this. They're sort of saying, "Why don't you write this?" or yeah. "Don't like that?" or whatever. Yeah. How do they yeah. get involved in it as you're doing it? Well, another another thing that I tend to do is it's really important to introduce the vocabulary. So, um, having taught for a long time, having taught for for twenty years, I can see that some students just don't have the cultural capital that they had back in you know the early two thousands. That's Sorry, that was me clapping 20 years, but a little bit too late. That's nice. 
you know, you can't have that thing. Um, carry on, Sarah. That was Sorry. me giving you a round of applause for teaching oh, for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, teaching 20 years. Like I say, I'm probably some kind of sadist or masochist. I don't, I, I don't know which. <laughs> 25 years to go. Brilliant. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but um i forgot what the question was sorry um, you were talking about um how they got involved in the process of modeling oh yes that's right so what we do is um they they introduce to vocabulary to me or i say oh what should i be writing here and they go validity and i go yeah but what does that mean and they'll go it means this and i go oh okay and i you know i get the back and forth that way but also i try and build up their vocabulary and use words that they might not use in their writing otherwise. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Nice. They try and use the, the vocabulary that that I've developed as a woman in my forties, <clears throat> um, <laughs> and get them to be writing more sophisticated answers. Yeah. Brilliant. You know? Wow. And um, I mean that that's uh, you know. And how how often do you use that that sort of modelling routine? Are you using that every lesson? Are you using that? you know every other lesson i mean where does it fit in within your you know let's say you've got you know you obviously need to explain things you need to do some yeah. question and answer you need to do you know where does it fit in there so it's, it's not every lesson and it's not you know it's not sometimes i'll be modeling with year seven for example because i'll give them out a worksheet and they won't know where to start so i'll you know i'll have to get the visualizer out and go oh gonna have to get hugh out because hugh's gonna have to help us out um and I do that with year sevens. I I would say probably once every three lessons. So at least twice a week with my A-level classes. Um, and probably once a week with my year sevens and year eights, maybe. Got so it's, it's not every lesson because, you know, I don't want to wear my visualizer out because. No, you know, no, no. That would be terrible. Um, and Lee has messaged in saying, I love modeling. It's very adapted to all levels in the classroom. Mm. I do, we do, you do is the concept yeah. I use in all lessons. Um, is that can anyone explain I do, we do, you do? I mean, I know, I think I know what that means, but does anyone want to add anything to that? Are you I do, we do, you everyone? do. I mean, that's, I do it. Yeah. You do it. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think with, with modelling, I do the answer, you yes. know. But what, what you know, because sometimes I could sit there and be like, right, we're not going to say a thing. We're going to really listen. Now we're going to really focus because, you know, some students need absolute quiet to be able to focus and to be able to make sense of this um and i will i will do it completely silently and i've been known to do oh, yeah, that cool. as well. that is... yeah 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 no, that's cool and then i go right okay so i've done that one now we're going to do this different one on a different theory because we did the content lessons before now you're going to do that one Got and it. we're going to we're going to do a competition to see who finishes first so I will turn off my camera, but they'll see me writing ferociously. Yeah. And we'll see who has the better answer at the end. That's no, nice. I like it. Nice. <laughs> so a wee little competition. Uh, I've also got Joe, and I'll come back to you, Sarah and, and Jill okay. as well. Um, Joe, if you want to sort of introduce yourself, just thirty seconds. Tell everyone about you. Hi, Tom. Um, thank you for the invitation this evening. Um, I am an English teacher in Scotland, um, and I have been at this for about 12 years now um, and I teach in a school which has a kind of variety of challenges you might say um, yeah. with regards to um, pupils being in the kind of lower end of the socio-economic scale so we have a lot of um, issues that, and challenges in the, in the school uh, as a consequence of that um, but I like the challenge and I'm 
I don't think I would want to to work in a in a in a, in a different environment now. Um, I believe that's called institutionalisation. But there we go. Um, and yep, that's basically what I do. What I do, but a lot of what Sarah was saying there about the 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 modelling and the visualisers. Absolutely, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. It does have that you know, level of impact and utility. So, yep, um, that, that's that's um, what I'm all about. Brilliant. And I know you commented on my original thread and you gave sort of a specific specific example of um, modelling writing um, at the level relevant to learning with commentary um, and and that sort of thing. So I wondered whether you could talk us through a process that you use when it comes to um, this idea of modelling and and using whiteboards or whatever it is and and how how you go about that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, um, I I enjoy writing. Uh, like it's, it's something my my students when I when I uh, when I discuss this with them and I tell them about my my love of writing and uh, and doing it for pleasure and enjoyment. They look at me, you know, flabbergasted and aghast. Um, so I, I I like the opportunity to to do it and to to to, to speak about it and give a a Sarah Sarah said a running commentary on on of what I'm doing and what my, my thought processes are processes are uh, as I'm doing it. Um, so I, I I do like doing that. I like the the the, the whole process of it. Um, I'm very fortunate in my classroom to have a very large whiteboard. Um, so if I am um, modelling to the class. Um, and it's not necessarily something that I would wish for them to. I need for them to take a record of or take a copy of. Uh, then I would use a whiteboard, and and uh, that would be up there for them, either to annotate or to 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 choose the and select the relevant ideas from. Um, but the visualizer really comes into its own when uh, I want to work on or I want to encourage the young people to. And I mean, that's going to sound super basic, but even just to work on the fine motor skills involved in writing and the presentation on a page, for example, proper headings, uh, proper spacings, proper paragraphing. Um, so I'll have um, a, a, a jotter, the same as the kids have got, which I'll, I'll have underneath the visualizer, uh, and I will invite them to um, to to copy down and to imitate what I'm presenting on the page using the visualizer. Um, so that at the most fundamental levels, I think that it, it, it encourages and develops and builds into the routines this idea of, okay, we sit down, we have this blank page, which I think was mentioned earlier, young, uh, a lot of young people can find intimidating. Uh, and what we'll do is listen here is how we will systematically go through presenting something of a reasonable quality on the page uh, and really kind of build that in, in uh, as part of uh, our, our routines. Um, with regards to the content, um, what I like to do is, well, it depends on what we're studying on any given day. Uh, there's a heavy emphasis in the National Five and in the higher here in Scotland um, on paraphrasing. So what I like to do is to model a paragraph and then have the young people paraphrase four ideas or five ideas from the paragraph now, in order to kind of drive their engagement with it so they feel they're kind of involved in the process. Uh, I'll, I'll ask for a recommendation or ask for a suggestion for a theme or a tone um, and I will then write a paragraph on that. Uh, and the kids, I mean, I love doing that, like being on the spot and, and, and producing something. Uh, I have somewhat of a, a formula that, that I do follow, but uh, the young people, they always try and 
um, Chancellor Chancellor Lock and, and the like. Oh, well, let's see let's see how good this guy is is actually uh, writing. So yeah. with this week alone, I've written a paragraph on the utility of fairy liquid, um, the different uses of pineapples, um, <laughs> the pop- rising popularity of sports uh, combat sports video games. Um, what was another one? Oh, how <laughs> how horses have been treated historically. So uh, and. <laughs> I'll, I'll write the passage, and I'll, I'll generally keep it to about four or five sentences long. And yeah. then what I'll ask the young people to do is, um, okay, uh, now we're going to take a copy of that Majotter, we'll move to the visualizer, uh, and then I'll have them paraphrase the four or five uh, ideas uh, that I have um, written into the into the passage. Um, we then do a, 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 kind of cl- a classroom-wide um, assessment of, of the paraphrasing. Um, sometimes I'll invite them, you know, if you have a trusted partner close to you, there's a be opportunity to do some peer assessment uh, or uh, a little miniature, tiny leadership um, opportunity for the young person to come up and actually put their work under the visualizer uh, and talk yeah. us through their justifications for how to paraphrase certain things. Um, so it's fantastic for that. And by the end of that, let's say just that, if it, let's say it was a paraphrasing activity, uh, by the end of that, they have. Um, uh, what good looks like, um, so that in the future, when we uh, go back to that particular skill, I'll be able to say, right, uh, guys, go back to your daughter, look for the heading that says paraphrasing, have a look at that, that's what that's what good looks like. Um, and sometimes I'll even mix it up and uh, I, I'll get down with the kids with the Gen, v, Gen Z vernacular. Uh, so if they do it later, I'll say, does your work have the same vibe as that one? Uh, I'll even go to say, it has the same energy. Is it, does it, does, is it filled with the same res? So, um, and they, they get that it's all variations in the same thing. So uh, that's that's what that's for example how I would use it. Uh, going to analysis, it would be uh, simply uh, be identical in terms of the methodology. Only the uh, focus of the questioning uh, would change. And again, I would model what a good answer looks like. Um, and this would be for approximately um, level three in Scotland. Um, which okay. would be a level we would be hoping for all young people to have achieved towards the end of S2 and the kind of beginning of, of S3. So that's how I would do that. I've used the visualizer for other things, but I, I don't want it to, to ramble on here and take other people's no, time. it's really interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, like, when did you start in, in your sort of career? Yeah. Um, have you always had that approach with modelling or is that something you've like adapted into and done more of as time has uh, gone on? Uh, yeah, no, it's something I have always like been the, the, the someone who's just been such a fan of modelling. I mean, I, I used to love watching my English teachers writing things. Yeah. It, to me, it was like some sort of magic, man, you know, like they would just be able to create these texts in, in front of you and they're at their uh, I, I envied their access to the vocabulary and 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 it was just i, I just thought these my, my english teachers in particular i, I was very fortunate in secondary school i had three of just the, i mean they're totally different people but three of just the most inspirational people you could like that maybe in my life and i was like man i i want to do that and there was i was had a kind of natural ability with it and um so they they recognized that and nurtured that and i told them that we live in this we live, i live in a fairly small town here in scotland and, and I, I see them fairly you no know, regularly but i do see them and i have um uh, you know i'm gushing in my and my appreciation for them but it's always something i've done but the visualizer definitely man that is such a good tool 
and during lockdown especially, the I, I have that IPVO I visualizer. Um, and I actually started to use it. I was, I, I was answering the same, I was having to address the same things repeatedly during lockdown. So I was like, you know, I'm going to make YouTube videos that cover these um, things, you know, rec recurring things, recurring uh, inquiries. Um, so I made those with the visualizer. Uh, it records video too. Um, so yeah. that, that was fantastic, you know, uh, very useful. And I would do the um, uh, live lessons uh, during lockdown for my certificate classes, my National 5 and higher uh, classes. Um, so it was really, it was fantastically useful for that. Also, just on that note, um, and please stop me, um, Tom, if I'm, if I'm no, hoping. No, 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 you, you go. Um, what I also found, find very useful, especially in senior phase, is I, I, I think that it's good. I think it's very useful for the kids to know what the the marking instructions look like for um, for the summative assessments, for the SQA assessments. And the visualizer lets you like lets you put someone's script next to the the marking instructions, uh, and to talk them through like here's the rationale um, for, for you know. With regards to the assessment, here's how here is um, how uh, this work is successful, or here's what it's missed, and for them to see that, I think that that can be very enlightening to them, um, and just explaining that that marking uh, process. So it, it, yeah. it, it has that use as well. I, I took a little note there. Um, your earlier, an earlier question about like how often do you use it, um, and. I tend to use it because of the the the, the reason I use it. The, the, the as I explained earlier, why I use a visualizer and how I use it. It yeah. tends to be like I use it heavily <clears throat> earlier in the academic year, but later they have the what good looks like maybe once one or two examples. So I don't necessarily have to use it um, so often um, for that purpose. Uh, so it then transitions into uh, later. Uh, it's kind of later in the academic year, transitions into air. Here's how things um, are assessed, uh, and also um, for the uh, kind of presentation uh, of answers, especially answers that, ha that are kind of multifactored, uh, that have the the different uh, aspects to them, like a more complicated answer. So in Scotland, maybe the commonality question and the National Five and Higher paper, that's part of the Scottish text component. Uh, it's a fairly, it's what, it's an eight-mark question. It's fairly complex in what they're asked to do. They're asked to analyse a, a pattern of ideas within a, an extract and more broadly in a body of text. So it becomes very useful useful for that. Um, and, yeah, so... But, Perfect. Listen, Joe, I'm going to bring you back in. Um, I'm going to bring Kate in now. Um, obviously, Jill, Sarah and Joe um, are also sort of here. So, Kate, good evening. Hi, can you hear me okay, Tom? Can, can hear you loud and clear. Um, now, I was counting earlier. You can do your own introduction, but I was counting earlier. I think you've now written 13 books. <laughs> no, 32. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's um... <laughs> Eight books published, edited one, and writing some more. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, um, listen, you know, I'll, I'll get well, I'll give you 30 seconds to introduce yourself. Go, go ahead. Okay, a history teacher. Um, I've taught in the UK, I've taught internationally, authored a few books, like Tom said. Uh, I now am senior associate for teaching and learning with evidence based education. But I'm actually on maternity leave. I have a six-month-old baby, so <laughs> that's that's what's going on with me right now. Flashing. 
And um, listen, I have to ask you, Kate, first. Well, also, it's probably a very good time for me to say that many of your um, best-selling books were produced through John Cat. Um, yeah. And uh, a big shout out to John Cat, who are also a sponsor on um, tonight's show with, with CTR. So if you want to get yourself 20% off any books um, written uh, by any John Cat author, including Kate's books on retrieval practice, then you can head over to the John Cat website, which is johncatbookshop.com, and you can use the code JCTTR2324, and you can get 20% off any of Kate's John Cat books. Um, tell me your John Cat books. We've got, retrieve, we've got the uh, retrieval series plus the assessment feedback. Yeah, so my first, uh, most of my books have been with John Cat. The first one was Love to Teach. That's a range of teaching and learning strategies and research and so on. Then there's um, four retrieval practice books. There's one specific for primary. There's one that's just a resource guide with ideas. Then I've authored one of the in-action books. So I so everyone can get a discount on all the in-action books. This is something Tom Sherrington started with Rose and Shine's Principles in Action. And my book is about Dylan William and Siobhan Leahy's formative assessment in action. Um, and then recently I edited the Research Ed Guide to Cognitive Science. And the Research Ed Guides are so good. There's a Research Ed Guide to Curriculum, Assessment, uh, education myths, uh, loads, loads, great books. So that's that's a really good deal because John Cat books are already cheap, like good price. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cost effective, not cheap, not Sorry. cheap, not cheap. <laughs> not cheap. Sorry. It is a cheat. It's a cheat of a deal. Um, no, I said cheap, not cheat. <laughs> I know I said cheat because I'm an idiot. Um, so uh, I was going to ask you. So far, we've talked about um, so we started talking about mini whiteboards. So. Yeah. Um, Jill is a big enthusiast of, of mini whiteboards. She's telling about us um, how she uses it in a classroom. Um, and then we've also talked about modeling. So I wondered whether sort of mini whiteboards, visualizers and modeling, whether you've got any sort of thoughts or any uh, sort of uh, nuggets of knowledge you want to share on any of those. Yeah, well, sorry I missed it. I've literally just delivered a webinar to teachers in Ireland. And yeah. that webinar with teaching and learning workload friendly strategies basically low effort for the teacher high impact for the student and i did mention whiteboards and i know they've yeah. been around for ages and people say god why are you all talking about whiteboards it's nothing new but it's because they they can be so brilliant in the classroom now i understand i've met lots of teachers and probably i was like this in the beginning that they seem like a faff because the pens run out and there can be students writing on them when they shouldn't write on them and they might draw inappropriate things. But you can get around all of those things, you know, if you with your behavior policy by modeling how to use a mini whiteboard, when you are expected to use them, when you're not to use them. Um, and a school I often tweet about, and this is a primary school, Stanley Road Primary School in Oldham, Manchester. Uh, I went to visit it and. I love that school. It's amazing. Uh, Andrew Percival is um, one of the school leaders there. And the way they are with many whiteboards in that school is it's just so effortless. The teacher will say, right, many whiteboards, and they'll answer, and they all show their answers. Then they put them away, and they just dip in and out of them all the way throughout the lesson. And it can be to check for understanding, um, to check for accuracy, you can have a short answer that you can then get someone to elaborate on and discuss, or it could be for retrieval practice from long-term memory. So they're really versatile and 
Uh, I'm also, uh, like Jill, a big fan of them. And I think the teachers who perhaps are not a fan, I think it might be worth revisiting and reconsidering because they have so much potential uh, in the classroom. And you could... Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only... The only sort of um, negative we sort of came up with, I guess, well, I say negative, the only barrier that we came up with is sometimes if teachers need to move classes, yeah. you know, like, uh, like 20 times or something, um, it could be could be, could be be challenging. Or someone's just disorganised like me and has like a trail of whiteboard pens anywhere. They go like a snail, but like the, the trail is actually whiteboard pens dropping out of a, a case <laughs> or something. Um, so anyway, Kate, I wanted to ask you about... Um, uh, so we're going to go through a, a few things, really. I wanted to ask you, because this show's all about teaching tips. So if I was to say to you, if you, if, if I asked you to sort of condense everything down and say to me, if this was your last five minutes on Earth, somebody came in, came up to you and said, Kate, we've only got five minutes left. What are your top two or three teaching tips? that okay. you think are indispensable <laughs> for someone to hear from you, right. then what would they be? I love the drama of that. Um, but it would be this low effort, high impact approach. And um, Joe Kirby's written about, and other people, about hornets and butterflies. Butterflies are things that are low effort for the teacher, have a high impact on student workload. Basically, at the start of my career, I was constantly making cards and games and activities, printing, laminating, cutting. We all did it, you know, we all sort of did this. We did it with really good intentions that we wanted to make these fun resources and activities for the students. And I would just say to teachers, and this is what I do now, is to really think about how you're spending your time and spend your time, effort and energy really carefully and wisely and think about, the question design and the explanations that you're providing more so over the the task and the activity um and i so i think that would be and the main one really would be and it, it, i get it i i used to love making activities and resources i used to love that I, and some teachers do really enjoy that but actually you is the juice worth the squeeze? Is is it worth <laughs> spending all that time squeezing for some little bit of juice, spending all that time when the kids are going to solve something in 30 seconds and it didn't challenge them, it didn't make them think hard, it's it's not something they'll remember into, for the right reasons later on. So um, that low effort, high impact mantra. And then um, the other thing is recycle reuse your resources as well and your activities and your questions so if you're asking some questions in a quiz based on today's lesson because you're checking for understanding before you move on then recycle those questions and ask them again at a later date for retrieval practice and then ask them again at a later date for retrieval practice because we used to just do things where we would use something once we say right that lesson objective has been achieved let's move on and I'm not going to revisit that until perhaps they've got an assessment on it and then I'll remind them about it, but they've forgotten it. So it's just having these um, these question banks that you use at different points in the learning process and you, you recycle them. You might use the same questions in a Kahoot quiz or with mini whiteboards or for multiple choice, or maybe you just give the same quiz. And if the student's saying, why are we doing this again? Then you explain to them why, that they forget things. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah 
sorry, that was me just flushing the squeezed juices down the toilet. Um, um, I, I the the thing that I I wanted to ask you regarding that was if if you were to choose a task or activity, for example, that you and again, I know we hate sort of generic things and all that jazz. I get that. I get that. But again, you've got five minutes. I hate generic Tom. Um, I I don't like it when people say generic is a dirty word because I mm, taught you yeah. five to thirteen, and every I taught you five to thirteen and every year in between. So I didn't have three year nine classes. I had year five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. My workload was ridiculous, uh, and I couldn't plan a lesson and then teach that lesson three times that week. So I made some templates and resources that I could use with different year groups and I could use with different topics. The reason that I could use them is because the content would be different. And when they do bash teachers and people do, and I remember hearing somebody saying, you know, generic is really bad. um, It's not part of knowledge, it's curriculum and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, "Are, are you a teacher? Because it's not about just making generic tasks to make my life easier, but actually they can work. Um, for for several reasons and the generic element of a template might be that you don't provide subject specific cues so you are making it more challenging for the students as well so um sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there it's a a template isn't it i mean at the end of the day it's a template that is transferable um, across lots of different topics and that's all it is so you know the word generic i guess sort of when you see that word generic there's almost these negative connotations that yeah. actually in a practical sense shouldn't really exist because all we're talking about here is a resource that is transferable and that shouldn't be looked down upon. It's just, that's what it is. So, so talking about a resource that you know of that is transferable, if you could only, if you could only recommend one of those resources that was transferable and you've obviously created loads in your career yourself, but it might be something else um you know is there a sort of template or grid or or something where you think that's that's a transferable idea that i think stands out that's something i'd be using often if i was teaching yeah and there are lots of versions but i'm going to give a shout out and i'm not paid to promote this person (laughs) but i'm going to say um adam boxer's carousel learning because that is a good example of how it, it can be used with primary and secondary it can be different topics, you know, if you're a science teacher in secondary and you've got different modules and units and you can use it in the classroom with mini whiteboards, you can set it as a homework um, and lots of people you know, would say, oh, students can't do retrieval as a homework because they'll just cheat. Well, there's ways at Carousel are getting around that and, and they do encourage quizzing and flashcards at home. So Carousel is one of many great online tools but i was thinking more i I was thinking more and by the way lots of other companies are available um (laughs) along the lines of the actual resource so the design the the actual task the the thing you know that whereas i would describe what you've said as the vehicle the program the you know i'm talking about an actual an actual individual task yeah if you like yeah okay i'll I'll give you one then from uh one of my favorites and this is uh, you know one that i 
I came up with called, uh, I called it Go for Gold. And basically there's sort of three tiers, or you could add more, where you have, this is a keyword task, essentially. It's about, and you can use it to check for understanding or check for retrieval. So let's just say, you know, Tom, we're teaching um, year eight and we're teaching Henry VIII, and I've got my Go for Gold it's like a table it's like a grid there's three words that are bronze and i might even have something you know king and religion and then you have silver and then i might have reformation um or monastery and then i might have gold and i might have dissolution i might think more carefully about the words but they're just off the top of my head and then i say to my class right i'd like you to summarize what we've been learning about aim to include as many of these key terms as possible so what you're doing with that is you are encouraging them to use this tier three vocabulary subject specific terms like monastery dissolution and so on but you're also helping to structure and shape their answer by saying i'd like you to summarize what we've been learning about basically saying these are the things you need to include and the reason why i really like this activity and i can tweet it and share it for people to see a visual example of it I like it so much because the students' answers are always of a really good quality. Uh, and this is differentiation that doesn't involve 15 different colour worksheets. You've got yeah. support for all. So the words that are in the bonds are deliberately easier. So everybody gets this taste of success. And yeah. it's great for their confidence and motivation morale. But everyone is challenged. It's not just me saying, oh, right here's you here's a difficult word word i'd like you to try it yeah. and then someone on the other table saying well can you just try and use the word king and that'll do you know whereas actually everyone is being challenged and they might use that difficult word and i might not have thought they'd been able to but they can and and this is about them not just recalling knowledge but applying that knowledge in a either written or a verbal answer so that one is called um it's called go for gold but it's just basically yeah. It's, it's it's just like a support um, to help students. A little bit like what you're talking about with scaffolding and modelling and so on. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll just flip to Sarah, if Sarah's still there. Um, Sarah, I'll, yep. I'll ask you the same question that I just asked Kate about maybe um, a teaching resource or idea that you, you know, if, if you only had like two minutes left to tell someone, what, what would you tell them about and say, hey, you should, you should use that idea? Um, I'm going to magpie. Um, one of Kate's ideas, having, oh. having yeah, having read the Re retrieval practice book, um, and it's the the template of you know retrieve something from last lesson, last yeah. week, last month, last year. The so challenge making, grid. Yeah, the challenge grid. So making sure that you're embedding you know long term memory rather than short term gains, um, because the biggest the biggest lie people people and students tell themselves is I'll remember that, and they won't. <laughs> So you always have to practice retrieval. So um, I'm big, big shout out to Kate because I'm a big fan of that book. So I'm I'm girling a bit here, but oh, that would be <laughs> that would be um, my my top tip. You know, retrieve retrieval practice, but modelling what they need to retrieve. Brilliant, love it. Um, Jill, have, have you got anything you want to sort of? I don't um, know, it's something you you use a lot. Um, I think the other thing that I use religiously every lesson is my Do It Now book at the start of every lesson. Oh, yeah. um, and um, I would be hard pushed to abandon that, I think. Um, I just, I, I love that the kids come straight in. They know what they're doing. Um, I'm building independence into the, the tasks that they're doing in those books, like little mini English 
um, skills to practice, um, and I, I couldn't do without that. Um, they, they, I start off the year teaching them explicitly how to the different little tasks that I want them to do. But by the end of the year, they're making up their own, um, and um, and and that's just wonderful to see. So, yeah, that's one of my favourite things to do. Lovely. And Joe, if you're still there, is there yeah, any, yeah. any resource or idea? That you it doesn't have to be something you use a lot necessarily but if you could only tell someone look this is you know my, my last ever recommendation what would it sort of be i think i would um like to try and make the resources that you're using if it's modeling um if you're using the visualizer to try and make them as kind of bespoke to the lesson and and as innovative and, and unique to that particular group of individuals as possible i know I, there was i was being slightly facetious when i described you know the various topics that they had the kids had challenged me on but three and four months down the line um when i'll say right okay you know we're going to do some analysis of imagery and they'll be like oh, analysis of imagery obviously oh, what's that i don't think we've done that and then i'll say oh don't you remember you know the fairy liquid activity and they'll be like oh is that that's that so just to try and make it as um as unique and and, and try and involve them in the process um uh, as much as possible and um, just to give them that uh you know it makes i think i believe it makes retrieval that a little bit more uh a little easier uh, and makes the recall that a little more slick uh, if you if you have uh, invested that what kind of creativity uh when you're doing it in the initial stages brilliant um i want to i want to sort of move on change course slightly now okay i was going to ask you first about this um so feedback um obviously we mentioned your john cat book there which is um on formative i think it's formative assessment strategies but you'll have to correct me on that um that's it there's a chapter on feedback in the formative assessment book yeah that's the one that's the one um and I wondered with regards to feedback and assessment, number one, is there any sort of advice you would give a classroom teacher when it comes to feedback? And I'm thinking of resources, I'm thinking of general advice on it, I'm thinking of maybe one or two things that someone might not have thought of commonly that maybe they should think about. And also, um, I was also going to ask you about AI as well um, and whether you sort of um, what you think of the new birth in AI generated feedback. Right. OK, well, um, I think in terms of feedback, we've obviously gone really wrong with it in the past, writing lengthy comments that sometimes the students don't even read and then they keep making the same mistake. And then it's also a huge workload issue. And there's been questions, who's the feedback for? Is it something the line manager, inspector, parent wants to see where really it is about? And Dylan William is the best person um, to follow and read up on terms of feedback because he says the main purpose of feedback is about improving the learner, not just the piece of work. So great if you improve the work, but if that work has improved, but then they still make the same mistakes, they haven't improved as a learner. And that's why a spell checker or Grammarly, it will improve that document but it hasn't improved you in terms of your spelling, punctuation, literacy, and so on. Um, but something that I would say to teachers is that um, peer assessment, I, I don't think self-assessment as much, but peer assessment has got quite a bad reputation 
and understandably so because it can go wrong students can give each other feedback that is not clear it can be unkind it isn't helpful the students end up value it because they think well what do you know i want feedback from the teacher because they're the expert in the room but i i've done this in my classroom and i'm if you spend time modeling and telling and showing how to give feedback and students can get to a point where feedback monitored by the teacher but peer critique and feedback can be really really helpful and have a positive impact probably yeah. most people are familiar with this but if you haven't watch austin's butterfly on youtube <laughs> ron berger ethic of excellence basically austin draws a butterfly and oh bless it's okay you can tell it's a butterfly by the end it's a masterpiece and that's not from feedback from the teacher that's from feedback from his peers that is kind specific and helpful um the other thing i would say about peer feedback very quickly is a mistake that we often make is students do an extended piece of writing and then they swap books and they give peer assessment my advice would be get students to peer assess after each paragraph because if they write their first paragraph and then they swap with their partner and then the, t the the students should use feedback like the teacher would. If the teacher uses literacy codes like SB for a spelling mistake, the students should do that. I would never be unkind to my student and say your handwriting is awful. So therefore, students shouldn't say that to each other. But let's just say they've swapped paragraphs and they've peer assessed it and they get the book back and their peer has highlighted that they spelt a keyword wrong. And they say, you know, uh, your paragraph is quite short try to extend it and add more detail and then the next paragraph they spell that word correctly now they're not making that mistake 20 times throughout the essay and they can try and add more detail and then we've got that immediate impact because it's feedback that they can act on if, if they just waited and said here's my finished essay and they go well you've got all these mistakes you've done all this and then they don't have the opportunity to act on it so they might not even read it they might not engage with it they might ignore it but if we can make it actionable and immediate in that sense, then it, it can be really powerful. Yeah, I, lo I love that. I, I think. I mean, do you think that sort of um, not just peer to peer feedback, but do you think do you think peer to peer learning or peer to peer, you know, uh, opportunities? Let's say that peer to peer opportunities. Do you think they're underutilized in the classroom? Do you think they? Yeah. Do you think do you think they could be utilised more than they are? Do you think that they aren't because of, you know, behaviour challenges or, or maybe they're just not fitting with, you know, the sort of approaches that some, uh, you know, that, that are out there? I mean, do you think that's an underutilised area? Well, it's because it's difficult to get right, even if we think yeah. about think per share. And apologies for the name dropping. I, I wrote an article with Dylan William. <laughs> so that was like, yeah, sorry about that. But it, it, we give advice about Think Pair Share. And I do think there's some great advice in there. And we talk about don't skimp on the think. So don't say, right, Think Pair Share, talk to your partner. Gotta have that think time. But we also give advice about the pair time. Because again, this could go completely wrong. They might just have a chat about something they saw on Snapchat or one person might completely dominate that conversation. But there are things that you can do. You can structure it. So you might say, right, in pairs, ones and two, it depends on the age, of course, of your students, but you might say, right, in pairs, number yourselves one and two. Right, one, I'd like you to tell your answer to two, and two, you listen. 
And then now, two, I'd like you to respond to that and tell them what your initial answer is, if you agree, if you disagree, and one, you have to listen. And John Hattie's written about this, that students can only learn from each other if they listen to one another. And you might have to hold them to account and say, right, can you tell me what your partner told you? Um, and did you agree with your partner? And then how did you respond? So <laughs> peer work, whether it's pair, whether it's groups, is not easy to do. And it, 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 I can understand why teachers might want to avoid it because students might think, oh, yeah, let's have a little bit of a chat, um, waste a bit of time. So it, it's hard for the teacher. But as I said, it can be very powerful. It can be effective. It's just got to be a lot of guidance, um, a lot of monitoring, supervision and intervention with by the teacher as well. Brilliant. Um, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to some regular listeners here. We've got Mr. Das is, is listening to a lot of um, TTR things. So thank you very much for doing that. Um, we, we really appreciate that. Um, Dale as well is, is often here. Um, Jenny, we've got Shell. Cheryl, Kirsty, Helen, um, ICE, and a few other people listening um, that aren't visible. So thank you very much, um, everybody. And we've had lots of people sort of dipping in and out as well. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just go to Jill then on feedback. Uh, oh, we didn't ask Kate. Kate, I wanted to ask you about AI. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on um, AI first, and when it particularly with feedback, and whether you think it's you know is it a good thing are there any pitfalls is it um, something that should be embraced you know what's the score with that i think just like self-assessment peer assessment has to be monitored by the teacher i think ai should be monitored by the teacher as well it can absolutely help us with workload but it's something we've got to keep an eye on we've got to quality assure it but i've been using technology for years that marks work for me with quizzes with Google yeah. for, yeah. Uh, with, you know, with Kahoot or whatever. And, yeah. but I still then, even though it'll mark it for me, I then, quizzes.com, for example, gives you a spreadsheet, just green if they got it right, red if they got it wrong. I then still, you know, look at that and engage with that, make a note of it. Yeah. Um, but it's just saved me loads of time. So I do, I think technology, it, it, it's got huge potential in terms of teacher workload. But we have to be careful because we've already seen lots of people are sharing examples of AI and there's just some things that are not quite, should we say, up to scratch and um, not 100% reliable. Um, so there's sort of there's still a lot of questions hanging over it, but it's definitely something that has huge potential for the classroom. I know Emily is here and she's yeah. using AI, chat GTP and things like that. So teachers are being really creative with it. And I think that's really impressive. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, hi, Emily. I didn't even mention you earlier. Sorry about that. Um, good, good evening to you, um, uh, Jill. Mm -hmm. uh, do you do you have any thoughts on what we we're talking about in terms of um, AI feedback? Anything that you use yeah. in class that um, you avoid, or anything like that? Pitfalls. I'm interested in pitfalls. I love pitfalls. Ah, pitfalls. Well, interestingly, um, Kate, we're just about to start the embedding formative assessment um, project, um, obviously, that's come from Dylan Williams. Um, in fact, we've got our very, very first session on Wednesday. Um, so I'm hugely looking forward to implementing this into school. But I, I will admit the bit that I'm most nervous about is the peer assessment. Um, 
and and when we first looked at the program I almost backed away from it when I saw that he's a big advocate of, of peer assessment because it, it frightens me a bit for all the reasons that you've you've outlined you know the worry of of the kids not using that time productively and, and as you say talking about snapchat and whatnot but um I know Dylan knows his stuff and I'm I'm ready to get behind him and and learn what he's got to teach me about that so maybe Tommy can come back to me in six months time and see how I've got on with implementing peer assessment into my classroom because I do do a little bit of it but it's it's um I do shy away from it so that that's going to be an interesting journey that is going forward. to be an interesting yeah. that is going to be an interesting journey yeah um I mean this is the thing I mean you know um with group work or I mean I put I put sort of um peer stuff on a sort of slightly lower tier than group group works like mm, even death. more ambitious but even yeah. like peer-to-peer -peer stuff is is yeah it's a ch it's a challenge so it'd be interesting how that works out but I definitely think although I think it's a challenge and a very valid consideration it as Kate said I think it has got you know that there are certain forms of it that carry huge amount of value that yeah for whatever reason usually it is to do with behavior well for me it's always been about behavior for me mm -hmm. it's it's been i need to put f as a bigger priority the flow of this lesson and, and the sort of um the way this lesson's going to go and how it's going to feel for the students sound like the everton manager mm -hmm. now he's always talking about the feel <laughs> of things but you know I, I definitely think the feel of the lesson is important and how how it goes so sometimes I will avoid anything uh slightly more ambitious for that reason which you know is is like that so it'd be interesting to see how you get on with that I think you need yeah. those you need a really secure base to work from yeah. to do, do that but but then I you know when I you talk about the visualizers um which I, I just every single lesson I use my visualizer but again I, I shied away from that I'm your dyslexic English teacher I can't spell for toffee and it's it's always been a huge embarrassment to me but and that's why I I didn't want to model because I was worried about you know exposing that weakness in front of the kids but yeah 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 you know I turned that round and um you know and I, I knew that the the visualizer was the right way to go and I made myself do it and um and I would say it took me a good 12 months to get to a point where I felt I'm really, really comfortable with this now and it's part of my routine, it's part of the kids' routine. Um, and I think, you know, anything new you're going to implement into your um, teaching pedagogy is, is you, you have to give it a chance. You can't just try a couple of lessons, you've got to give it a really good go over a period of time and um, and, 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 and work through those pitfalls that, that, that might come along with it. Um, yeah, so... No, really that's it. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah i mean you're absolutely i i that's one of the like even when i go to write something sometimes on the board and then i'm like i get halfway to the board and i'm like <laughs> i don't know how to spell this word so i'm gonna have to think of another word within the next 0.5 seconds to replace the word i can't spell uh, hang on yeah i thought of it and yeah. i'll use that word instead how pathetic yeah. is that? 
Um, but yeah, well, we should it's, just, yeah, go it's, on. It's, um, it's metacognition, isn't it? And it's being honest with the kids that um, we make mistakes, we don't know it all. And But how do you travel past that when you don't know the spelling? And, and being honest and saying to the kids, you know what, I'm really not sure, I can't remember, I'm going to check it and I'll ask Siri on my watch or, mm. or whatever. And, um, and I think that's really important and powerful for kids to see how to navigate getting it wrong and how to navigate making mistakes. And that's an important part of, you know, you're talking about feedback earlier. Um, it's almost giving yourself feedback and, and the kids watching you give yourself that feedback and how you take it on board and move forward from it. Yeah, spot on. Um, Sarah, anything on feedback in terms of uh, teaching ideas or anything that you implement, implement in the classroom with regards to feedback? Um, so because I've got quite big numbers in A-level psychology, uh, I've got 53 across year 12 and year 13. Wow. Um, and, and I'm a lone teacher. Um, oh so <laughs> so um, what I do is when they've done an end of topic assessment, I sit at the same time as them. So, okay. yeah, I know. I know You're I'm... too brave. You get out now, Sarah. Go on. You're too brave for this space. <laughs> um, and then so once they've finished it, I take them in and I see which ones they've not answered very well. So at the moment, I'm marking my end of topic assessments for my year 12s. Um, and they definitely need more work on evaluation and how to structure those paragraphs. So what I'll do is I'll photocopy my answer um, and I give them back my answer with theirs once they've marked it. Um, and as part of the feedback process or what we call green pen work, they um, go through and they make the changes or like, you know, bullseye from the 1980s. Here's what you could have won. Um, here's what you could have won for, you know, what the points that were missing. So I tend to do feedback. Um, in that way and the whole class feedback is really important for me because of having such large numbers so um, um, as I've been marking them as I've been going along I've been going well these have been, been answered really well but this particular question hmm, quite a few of you have you know not done very well on that why do you think that might be um, and I do it and I do it like that um, so I give them verbal feedback as a whole class whilst I'm marking them because they're forever asking me have you marked them yet have you marked them yet have you marked them yet um, and I say, well, I'm not Wonder Woman and it does take some time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's the kind of feedback I do. So that's great. That's you try brilliant. and cut down my workload a bit um, or else, you know, I, I try and it's really difficult to get around 28 year 12s by yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, right. We've got we've got we're sort of moving towards the end now. So my last question was going to be and I'll start with Joe on this. Then I'll go to Kate and then. Um, jill and sarah but my question joe to you and to everyone else is going to be what would you look to avoid doing in your classroom in 2024 is there anything where you think i want to cut that out or i want to do much less of that in 2024 yeah um yeah um thanks tom i would say I feel on the spot here now. Uh, yeah, I, I have say, put you on the spot there. You're doing the spot, um, man. Like yeah. perfect first time on the show. <laughs> right on the spot here. Do you know what? I can come to Kate. Kate. The, the only spot. The only I'm spot Kate first. She could bail you out, Joe. You have a thing. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm going for it. All right. I, 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 I think I already flexed my opening under pressure credentials. Um, I would say that um, in terms of my own modelling of language, there are certain things that are creeping in that are uh, 
and this is going to sound incredibly esoteric, um, but there are certain things creeping into my spoken language um, that I wish to eradicate. Like I've caught myself, I've caught myself starting. Oh my goodness, I'm cringing even uh, saying this in public. But I've uh, found myself starting sentences with so, which is a crime, a language crime. Uh, I've been working for many years on eradicating the word very completely from my, my vocabulary. What's wrong with the word very? Oh, very. That's, that's, a, that's a bad word. That's sinful. That's cheating. That's, 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 I don't like it at all. Uh, so I think I think that trying to improve those things and not allow um, I don't know that that to become something that the, the kids hear me regularly saying. But in terms of like uh, pedagogy, um, things that I would like to avoid doing, might I flip the question? Say things that I would like to do more of. <laughs> um, I, 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 that that would be my priority of uh, of, of mine. Okay. Well, do you know what? I wasn't expecting you to give that answer. So that's great. That's a really nice start. Um, Kate, have you got any <laughs> any advice to Joe? I'm not saying so or very. Oh, I wouldn't. I've just gone. Oh, so the <laughs> difficult thing. Um, I do think we do that when we get quite relaxed in the classroom. Um, we say things we have phrases and sometimes it's a colloquial thing sometimes local you know I say I've just said you know um I would say if that's your biggest concern then that's not you know not the end of the world is it you sound like a, an amazing teacher um I've really enjoyed everything you've had to say tonight and about the psychology being a teacher Mark and all that on your own oh my goodness and the confidence to say to, to sit the paper with them and then share your answers uh, I wish I'd have done that early in my career, but I, I just didn't have that confidence to do that. But sorry, what was your question again? Something I would avoid or something or ditch or something, yeah, is it? Now. Now. Um, yeah. Let's do less of that in 2024. No, I'm joking. Compliments are good. Um, I was no. going to ask, what yeah. would you advise or what would you say? And this could be a more general trend thing um, for 2024. Like, what do you think teachers should, in your opinion, do less of? in 2024? I think it's something that's been an issue for a long time. I think it's just, I'm not anti-PowerPoint at all, but I do think it's this reliance on, on PowerPoint. And the last school, I when I started, the curriculum was just a series of PowerPoints. Yeah. And it was just, uh, and the PowerPoints, being honest, weren't designed well either. They were like your typical sort of PowerPoint that you see on the TES where and I'm not meaning to bash the TES because there's some great resources on there, but there are lots of resources that are not of a high quality and um they just sort of tend to have loads of information on it and they're not, you know, they're they're not designed with all the principles that we know about working memory, cognitive load theory and redundancy effect and so on. So I just it's not about scrapping PowerPoints. It's just viewing them more as a tool and as an aid rather than oh, here's my lesson, and it's a PowerPoint. <laughs> we, do, we don't have yeah. loads of that. There's, definitely that. there's definitely that element in the last, I don't know how long it was, maybe the last couple of years of like, here's the curriculum, there's 10 files that are PowerPoints, and that's almost like the scheme of work. Like, yeah. it's, like, it's like lesson one, click these slides through, read it, end of lesson. Mm -hmm. Like, I get, 
I do get about like the idea of simplifying things, and I I'm not against PowerPoint per se. Obviously, Dave. of course not. But but there is that element that's crept in of this is teaching. Now, it may be a form of teaching, but it going through sort of slides isn't is that sort of I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. No, well, there are teachers who do don't use PowerPoint and. Uh, I'd love to see more of those lessons and I would like to be where I just I sometimes use it I don't always use it um or and then if we are going to use PowerPoint if we are a school where everyone's using PowerPoint and there's this expectation that we do let's have some training then on how to maximize the PowerPoint in the classroom how to design it so it helps not hinders learning but we don't have that so instead we've just got PowerPoints with like icons loads of text and then we just sort of say, yeah, this is this is the lesson and this is the curriculum. And I, I do get it like you, Tom, and it's something that I just sort of, I'd go to plan a lesson, I'd make a PowerPoint or look if there was an existing PowerPoint out there. Mm -hmm. So it's not about banishing the PowerPoint, it's just thinking about how we're using them and the role they play and the design with them. Yeah, got you, got you, got you. Um, Jill, what would you do less of in 2024 do you think you're going to try and do less of um it's a really that's a toughy question and i've been sat here while you've all been talking trying to think of something what i, I what i would like to see less of in my school yeah um is homework um yes. pointless 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 homework um um i think homework should be laser focused short sweet and shows it, it's got some impact and if it's not doing those things then we shouldn't be setting it um um and i have tried to do that i suppose in my teaching over the last year or so to reduce down pointless homework that's so say that's a really good shout that's a really good shout everybody's going to come for me now aren't they no no that's a really good shout um sarah anything you would sort of throw in there um, I've had a think, and I think the one thing I'd like to avoid is qualifying myself. So, in like Kate was saying yeah. about colloquial things that we say, yeah. So often I can be quite underconfident and say, "Does that make sense?" A lot in lessons, um, and I want to try and avoid that mm -hmm. because I do know what I'm doing because I've done it for a long time. So I'm going to try and avoid be try and avoid being um, underconfident. And try and remember that I do know what I'm doing. I think. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a fair point. I mean, there's lot. I say that though. I say that, but I don't necessarily say it um, because I really think that it doesn't make sense. I just say it as a phrase that I've picked up that I somehow use as like a. I, I, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like a transition phrase that I use in the lesson. Does that make sense? Right, let's move on. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, becoming yeah. a joke now with my students, so I'm going to have to try and avoid using it. It is interesting, the whole language thing. Uh, that could be a whole other show on TTR, of, like words and phrases that we use that we want to eradicate. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. It'll be a whole new thing. Um, listen, um, it's been fantastic. Thanks ever so much. Um, Joe, Sarah, and Jill, Kate as well, for getting involved tonight. It's been it's been great from start to finish. Um, Tom, may I, may I may I come in with something? Yeah, Joe. Sorry, go. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, in Scotland, we have uh, teach uh, the national five and higher level 
uh, how to analyse an effective conclusion. Um, it's something that appears often in the National Five and Higher class, and essentially it's asking the kids to identify language or ideas in a concluding part of a text, which refer back to the opening of the text, um, and to, to show that this in, uh, implies the ending. So I thought that if we applied that to this evening's discussion, uh, one of the things that I'm absolutely like fanatical about is the vernacular, and if we take it this conclusion, this ending, back to the beginning with uh, whiteboards. I had written down in my notes here at the side uh, that one of the dangers of whiteboards, uh, uh, whenever I've used them, is uh, that the kids are using the whiteboard markers to, um, you know, graffiti, let's say, each other's, your pal next to his shirt or his, his ch uh, under his chin or something. Uh, and in Scotland, well, certainly on the west coast of Scotland here, this is such a bizarre word, man. But we, the word chiefied, like like a chief chiefied is called yeah. being chiefied. So you know, and the kids will say it when it happens, and, and, and maybe it's a fresh white shot. There was on Monday. The kids in all all earnestness will say, "Sir, he's just he's just chiefied my shot." Um, and I'm interested, given that we have a, a, a broad representation of the UK here, what what is the vernacular word for chiefied where you are? This is Joe. This is very niche. And perhaps one for another day. Okay, okay, okay. Because <laughs> unfortunately we're out of time, but it's a really okay, one. interesting one to end on. <laughs> your lessons must be so much fun, mate. I can't tell you. I wish I was no. a student in your lessons. No, um, thank you. Yeah, guys, it's been it's been great. Um, massive thanks to John Cat um, for sponsoring tonight's show, and don't forget to check out their range of books and resources available on the John Cat website, johncatbookshop.com. Um, this from me is a good night. But just before I go, massive thanks to Nathan who's been behind the scenes administrating, and to all of our listeners. I'm sorry I don't know what ICE's actual name is. I just know them as ICE. But and again, another regular listener, um, and also Robbie has joined, um, and Helen has joined as well. So and and we've also had a lot of other listeners uh, behind the scenes. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. This will be available as a podcast on the Teachers Talk Radio website, and um, probably tomorrow on the Listen Back page. Um, if you are still wanting more, uh, you can listen live in two minutes' time to Ray, uh, who is another one of our amazing hosts. And you can listen to her by clicking listen live on the Teachers Talk Radio website. She is genuinely live. It's not just recorded stuff here, people. This is genuine live content. Um, she is going live in two minutes time. Um, and I think she's talking about neurodivergence in teaching in the classroom, possibly. But I could be making that up. But anyway... Um, do, do check her shows out because she she is she is fantastic. So thanks very much, everybody. Good night, and see you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.